What's up, guys? Happy Thursday. This is Relatable. My name is Ali Stuckey. This is a podcast by CRTV. If you don't already subscribe to CRTV, what are you doing? There are so many of us on there. It's not just me. You've got Steven Crowder. You've got Michelle Malkin. You've got Mark Levin. You've got Romy Millennial, Graham Allen, all of these awesome people. So you should definitely subscribe to CRTV. Plus, if you use my promo code, Ali20, I'm pretty sure you get like $20 off, which is amazing. It, I think it breaks down per month just like a few dollars. So probably less than you spend on Starbucks every month. And plus, you're getting smarter every time you listen to us, or at least I hope so. If you feel like you're getting dumber every time you listen to my podcast, you should stop listening to this podcast. I am going to go ahead and not just give you the ability to do that by allowing you to do it, but I'm going to encourage you to stop listening to this podcast if you feel dumber after you listen to it. I really hope not. I've never gotten a message that has said that they feel dumber after they listen to my podcast. All of the messages, most of the messages that I get from you are extremely positive, and I really appreciate that. Um, on that note, I want to say thank you guys so much for all of the messages that you send me. I don't always get to respond to them, um, but I'm very thankful for them. You guys send me the nicest messages and what I hear over and over again is really why I do this podcast and why I do what I do. I hear from so many of you who live in a liberal state, go to a liberal school, teach at a liberal business, whatever it is, and you just feel scared. You just feel alone. You feel like you don't have a voice, like you're thinking these things, but your brain doesn't even let you fully articulate them because you know that you're not able to say them out loud or post them on social media. And for whatever reason, you stumbled upon my podcast and it helps you feel like you're not alone. That is the best thing that you could ever tell me. I thank God every day for the opportunity to get to do this. If there were only two of you out there who felt that way, only two of you who listen to my podcast, I would still want to do the podcast. Now, CRDV probably wouldn't sponsor it because I wouldn't be making that much money. But even that, just even hearing that from one person, two people, it's enough to motivate me to keep doing this. You guys are why I do this. The young men, young women, or older men, older women, it doesn't really matter that listen to this podcast that tell me that they don't feel so alone and they feel that their thoughts are affirmed and actually articulated and represented in the in the media actually helps you. That means so much to me. So thank you so much for the messages that I received that tell me that. If you feel that way, feel free to reach out to me. Of course, you certainly don't have to. You can email me, Allie at the conservative millennial blog.com. You can leave me a nice review on iTunes. That would be wonderful. And you can message me on Instagram, which is what most of you do. So I just wanted to take a moment to say thank you for that. And to let you know that even if I haven't responded to your message, I probably saw it. I'm not able to respond to every single one, probably because I'm kind of wordy if you haven't noticed and I take a long time to respond to things. But I also think that I owe you guys a little bit of an apology or maybe just kind of own up to something that I've noticed myself do recently is that I get super sassy and sarcastic and snappy about certain things. Like when people leave me mean comments or when they send me a message that I don't like, instead of just kind of letting it go, some sometimes I really clap back. And that's not a very godly attitude to have. And I've done it on Twitter too. I think with the whole Kavanaugh thing, I got so worked up that I was kind of mean in some ways to people. I don't I don't want to be that. So if you've noticed that, I hope that you'll forgive me and realize I'm a very 
imperfect person, but I should be holding myself up to a higher standard because I know I'm in public and I talk a lot about Christianity and I should always strive to be a good representation of that and to be a kind representation of that. And I fall short very often. I get caught up in this tribalism, this incivility of the political sphere. And my job is to remove myself from that and to remember my main identity, which is who I am in Christ. So I just want to ask for your forgiveness for that for trolling people, for being rude to people. If I snapped back at you, probably not. You probably wouldn't be listening to this anymore. If I snapped back at you at one point for uh, saying something to me that I didn't like, I'm sorry for that. I definitely can get defensive. I definitely can get sarcastic. We talk on this podcast and in social media about about biblical sass versus unbiblical sass. I am so guilty of unbiblical sass. Biblical sass is what you see in the Bible when Jesus kind of asks rhetorical questions or responds in a sarcastic way. Paul also is sarcastic at times. And I think that can sometimes be a powerful and good rhetorical tool. I think there is a place possibly for kind sass if you're trying to speak the truth and use it as a tool to do that. However, there's some sass that's just degrading and just rude. And I am certainly guilty of that. That is unbiblical. That is ungodly. That's not Christ-like. So I just want to say that I'm sorry for that. And I'm going to do my best through the power of the Holy Spirit to repent from that and to be kinder. Because Sorry, I got something caught in my throat because at the end of the day, none of this political stuff matters. None of this cultural stuff matters in the grand scheme of things, in the eternal perspective. Yes, of course, I think this is important. I care about America. I'm thankful to God that he allowed us to live in America and has given me this platform to speak to you guys. Of course, I think it's important. That's why I do it. However, in the eternal scheme of the universe, Political parties don't matter and they're not going to exist in the new heaven and the new earth. When Jesus comes back, all of these political arguments and these cultural discussions that we had aren't going to aren't going to matter. What's going to matter is how we shared the gospel, how we treated other people, what we actually did to advance the kingdom of God and obey the Lord by taking this message to all nations. So I have to remember that and remind myself of that just as much as anyone else does, that the beauty of it all, we can get frustrated and we can get scared. We can get worried about what's to come. We can get caught up in the tribalism and the pettiness like I do on social media. But we also, we have to remember, we have to remember what's important. And what's important is that we are ambassadors for Christ, that we are the aroma of Christ. And that is what matters more than anything else. So again, I'm sorry for being a bad representation of that. You guys are are free to call me out in a kind way and I won't clap back at you again I'm sorry if I ever have. I just get I get sassy like that's my go to when I was growing up, when I was in high school, when I was with my parents, that would be the number one thing that I would get in trouble for was being disrespectful. It wasn't lying. It wasn't causing trouble. It was being disrespectful because I always thought when I was little that I knew just as much as the adults did. Not true. Never true. It's never true that a six and eight year old know anything really, especially when you get to that age and you think that you know everything, you're just such an annoying little brat. And I really was. Fun fact, I 
was not a good student or a good person to have in class. I've never liked school. I've never liked structure. I've never liked authority, anything like that. And that's why I do this job because I can basically do whatever I want to. But I commend you to be, um, I recommend that you are different than me if you are in school and stay in school. I did stay in school, but respect your teachers and do your homework. I wish I had been better at that kind of stuff, but that's okay. I ended up here. So what I'm going to talk about today, I'm going to talk about a couple things. I'm going to talk about an article that I read about a bill that was actually vetoed by Governor Brown in California. Wow, he did one good thing. And then I'm going to answer a lot of your questions. As I talked about on Tuesday, I'm actually in California right now. I am pre-recording this. I'm in California to speak at UC Berkeley. My husband is also in San Francisco with me, which is really fun. If you guys have recommendations as you're listening to this, we will still have one more day. Feel free to text me, message me, whatever it is. So this article that I want to cover this bill, I think it was SB 320. If I remember, yes, SB 320, that was going to make it absolutely mandatory. Absolutely mandatory. I didn't have to say that. It was going to be mandatory for state schools to offer abortion services on college campuses, medical abortion. So that means taking a pill and poisoning the child inside your womb. This was a bill that feminists obviously tried to pass in California and Governor Brown vetoed it, saying that it was unnecessary. There was an article in Teen Vogue by someone who tried to push the importance of this bill who said that it was absolutely ridiculous that it was vetoed um, because women need access to abortive care and going off campus is prohibitive both both logistically and financially. And my response to that is, of course, uh, that it's supposed to be prohibitive. We're supposed to be putting walls up before abortion because it's supposed to be rare. It's supposed to be the last choice, whether you're on the right or the left. Now, I already talked about abortion on Tuesday. I'm not going to get all into that again, but there are supposed to be prohibitions to being able to get an abortion. California is so backwards in absolutely everything it does. I commend Jerry Brown for not making it this easy for a 18, 19 year old girl whose brain isn't even developed to walk to their school clinic and get abortion medicine to abort her child. Like, I can't imagine how many more abortions we would have. Someone wakes up still hungover, probably not even sober yet. Shoot had, well, I, no, I guess that doesn't work like that. I guess that would probably be, I guess that would probably be plan B. That's not, okay, whatever. Forget the hungover part. But you find out that you're pregnant four weeks after you hook up with someone. You're all emotional. You're scared. You're alone. You're in college. You feel like, oh my gosh, there's no way I can do this. Of course, if you can easily walk over to an abortion clinic that is just on your campus, you're probably going to get an abortion. But we don't want it to be that easy. Like abortion should not be something that's just a decision that you wake up one morning and decide to do and say, hey, I'm going to go get an abortion today. No, if it prevents an abortion that someone logistically can't get to an abortion clinic in LA, which I'm sure it's not that difficult. If it prevents someone to get an abortion because it's a little bit more financially burdensome, that's a good thing. Like we should be putting up as many barriers as possible to limit the possibility that a woman will say, 
hey, I'm just going to go and kill my child. I don't understand why on the right and the left, you wouldn't agree on that. But, you know, that is a very corrupt and sad and depraved part of the feminist movement. If you guys haven't read the book, um, the flip side of feminism, I really recommend that you do that. It really kind of breaks down all of the fallacies of of feminism and all of the false promises that it gives. It says that it's about female empowerment, that all of the equality that women have been able to achieve has been because of people like Gloria Steinem and the feminist movement, the second and third wave. And that's really just not true. Women were doing very well even before feminism came about. And sure, society has changed, but feminism is not to is does not take the credit for all of the equality that women have. And in fact, it's taken women back in so many ways because feminism denies the unique and wonderful and beautiful and preferred reality of women being being matriarchs of a family of having kids and taking care of their kids. That's why they push for things like universal health care that is completely paid for. That's why they push for things like paternity leave. I'm not saying paternity leave is inherently a bad thing. So that's why they push for abortion because they believe that a woman having a child makes her or puts her at a disadvantage to men who don't have a child. It gives her an extra layer of responsibility that she has that a man doesn't have because he's not carrying a child. Of course, we believe that men are just as responsible for that child as a woman is. But at the end of the day, he can walk away. She can't really walk away unless she has an abortion. And that is why feminists are great with abortion. They want to give the woman the same option that a man has to walk away. But I say to you, I'm sorry. You don't you don't get that option. Yes, it's horrible when deadbeat dads walk away from the responsibility of the child that his woman is pregnant with. And he does have the physical ability to walk away in a way that a woman doesn't. But abortion doesn't make that any better. It sounds like it does. But in reality, a woman is left with this emotional and physical toll that still doesn't make her equal to a man. Because while a man can walk away, a woman has to have a horrific procedure where a child is dismembered inside her womb in order to gain that same equality. So maybe we should be asking ourselves if something so unnatural, so painful, so awful is necessary to reach this so-called feminist equality that they say that they're fighting for, maybe it's not the right thing to do. And hey, maybe there's an inherent difference between men and women that we should be celebrating rather than trying to eliminate. And that's another thing about feminism. They think that in order to accomplish this egalitarian society that they purport to be fighting for, then we have to deny all differences between men and women. We have to make sure that that men realize that any natural drive that they feel is all a social construct and that they should really be more like women. And women, any natural drive that you feel to, I don't know, have kids, raise a family, nurture, beautify all of the things that women are better at than men are, um, that you should deny those things and try to be more like men. Women should be more corporate. Men should be more domestic. And then we can just all have these shared characteristics and we'll live in this egalitarian gender fluid society and there will be no more patriarchy. It's all BS. And when I say BS, I'm not even thinking the cuss word in my mind. I just use abbreviations, just FYI. It's all absolute craziness. You have to wonder with this feminist movement that's pushing abortion 
pushing gender fluidity and the so-called egalitarian society. I say so-called because they really want a matriarchy uh, more than anything else. You have to wonder if they ever ask themselves, hey, if there's really, if, if gender really is a social construct, why haven't other societies throughout time figured this out? Like if you want to, if you want to establish a universal reality, you look at multiple cultures, multiple times in history. And what we see is that in general, probably more than 90% of the cases, probably 99% of the cases um, in every time period in history, in every culture in history, men fall into a certain aggressive category. Women fall into a certain nourishing category. That tells us, or nourishing and nurturing, but nurturing is what I actually meant to say. That tells us that there are probably inherent, real, biological, scientific differences between men and women that don't just have to do with anatomy, but have to do with how our brains work. Like if men and women have fallen into these very traditional masculine and feminine categories and having these characteristics throughout all of time and history and various cultures, then doesn't that go to show that these are actual real differences. And if we try to deny those differences, that it's not going to work, that it's probably going to end in a lot of brain, uh, a lot of trauma. Gloria Steinem was interviewed a few years ago and the interview her, the interviewer asked her, Hey, um, what do you think about the study that just came out that said that there is a difference between female brains and male brains, that there are very real biological differences? And Gloria Steinem said, oh, well, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. We can we can overcome that. What? You're going to overcome biology? You're going to overcome how our brain works? Yes, that's how feminists think that they can overcome inconvenient scientific facts with a social narrative. And feminists have been very effective in that. They've been very effective in that, in pushing their feminist matriarchal narrative and casting it as, oh, this is just progress for all women. This is just good for everyone. It has nothing to do with feminism. But the truth is, feminism is not about advancing women. That's why you never hear feminists tout the accomplishments of someone like Condoleezza Rice or any conservative woman that has advanced the ball. You never hear them talking about Carly Fiorina besides the fact that they've taken responsibility and done amazing things, have been the first women to accomplish a lot of the things that they've accomplished. You never hear them talking about that because the feminist movement is not about women. It's actually done nothing for women. If anything, it's hurt us tremendously. There, we Even conservatives have a fear of saying that, have a fear of saying that feminism is bad because we say, well, what about first wave feminism, the suffragettes? At least we have the right to vote, all of this stuff. No, they weren't feminists. They didn't call themselves feminists. Feminism wasn't really a term that came around until uh, the mid 20th century. They were suffragettes. They were fighting for the right to vote. And from what I've read, there's been some varying research on this. Some people say that they were anti-family. There probably were some of them that were anti-family, but in general, they were pro-life. They were pro-family. They just believed that they had the same voice that a man had. It was also a very different time. 
But this whole thing of pushing free birth control, of pushing abortion that happened in the 60s and 70s was really just a projection of some miserable housewives that thought that their own misery in their marriage and their uh, raising of kids was actually true of every housewife. And that's not true. The majority of people who were housewives in the 60s and 70s were very happy to be that. And actually, women worked outside the home and were very happy and successful working outside the home before feminism happened. All they did was push legislation in order to try to make women, quote, equal to men. And really, it was just about female power. That is what feminism is about. And I just don't agree with it. And this Teen Vogue article that talks about uh, pushing SB 320 so women can get abortions on college campus is just the next stage of that. It is just another indicator that they think that this is an important part of the equality egalitarian movement. And it's not. Okay. Now I'm going to move on to some of your questions that you guys gave me. Okay, this one is from someone from Denmark, and he's moving to the States to go to college. So let's see, but when it comes to having right-wing values and a huge pile of left-wingers, both the students, professors, and perhaps even the content I'm learning will be left-wing. Any suggestions? Okay, so she's asking how to not feel alone with your conservative views. Uh, that's obviously extremely difficult. I haven't had that problem quite as much. I grew up in Texas. My parents are both conservative Christians. I went to school in South Carolina. The school itself, I would say the professors are pretty progressive. I would say the vast majority of them are progressive, but the student body was pretty conservative. And so I, I didn't feel too much like I was ostracized or marginalized for being a conservative. And it just wasn't as much of a partisan time, believe it or not. I graduated in 2014, not that long ago. And even though we had the election between Barack Obama and Mitt Romney, it just wasn't as, or I don't remember it being as partisan and as tribalistic as it is now. So I feel for all of you who are in college now, especially those of you who go to left-leaning colleges, you know, not like a Liberty University, I really feel for you because you feel like you can't speak up in class. I talk to college students all the time who say, you know, I wrote this paper on something that I don't actually believe in, pretended that I believed it, argued for a certain way just so I could get a good grade. I really feel for you. And I don't know what the right answer is. Some people say, some people ask me when I go to these college campuses, should I lie or should I tell the truth and just get a bad grade? That's really difficult. Like I don't want to encourage anyone to purposely get a bad grade and be a martyr for the conservative cause and not be able to get into the grad school you want to get into or whatever that is. I'm not sure if it's worth all of that. Of course, I think it would be wonderful if you were able to fight for your conservative views, if you were able to speak up and be bold, go to the administration, say it's not fair that I'm getting a bad grade for being a conservative and win that battle. Of course, I think that would be better because that's not just better for you. It's better for students that come after you. And it's good that these universities realize that there are students that think differently and that that's okay, that colleges should be teaching kids how to think, not what to think. However, if that's just not feasible for you, if that's not something that you want to do, if you feel equipped to do. And if that is going to be a losing battle and you're going to just have horrible grades and post-grad is not going to work out for you, if you get all these horrible grades for being a conservative, I'm not going to be the one to tell you to die on that hill. Be as bold as you can while still using discernment. I never think it's okay to lie. Um, so I don't encourage you to lie either. But 
I, I don't think that you necessarily have to be outspoken as a conservative. That means sacrificing all of your success in school, if that makes sense. But my recommendation to you, if you are a conservative that goes to a left-leaning school, you feel ostracized, find, if you can, a group that thinks the same way you do. So find a college Republicans, find maybe a church that is a biblically grounded, gospel-centered church, find college conservatives. Uh, Maybe you should start a turning point chapter, young Republicans, whatever it is, start that chapter at your college. I guarantee you there will be people who come out of the woodworks who say, oh, I'm a conservative too. I, I had no idea. It will help you so much if you are surrounded by and you seek out people that think the same way you do. That's so important, not just to not feel alone, but to stay true in your values. To be honest, it's going to be really hard when you go to college and you think that you're so strong in your views, but then other people push you a certain way and you pretend you're like, Oh yeah, sure. I'm not pro-life. I know God, no, because you're embarrassed. And then you end up believing all of the things that you have felt pressured to believe. I went into college strong, Christian, strong, conservative. I stayed that way for three and a half years. My last semester of college, I've talked about this before on my podcast. I went through a lot of different things. I went through a bad breakup. I was, I don't want to say depressed because I, I don't, want to demean or trivialize people who have really suffered from clinical depression, but I felt depressed, very anxious. I developed an eating disorder. First it was anorexia, then it was bulimia. I started drinking a lot. Um, I started going out with the wrong people who preached to me a message that was not true that, hey, this is your last semester of college. You should live it up. You should, you know, pay attention to all these guys that are paying attention to you. You should go out with us three nights a week. Yeah, you should get drunk. It's fine. It's good. Let loose. Don't worry. After college, you'll get serious. Yeah, all of that's a lie. And the sad thing is, was that I knew better, but I did allow myself and I'm not blaming this. I take responsibility for this, but I allowed myself to start believing things that weren't true because it was no longer convenient for me to believe in biblical truth. It was more convenient for me and honestly, a lot more fun for me to believe the things that my friends were telling me, this postmodern idea that morality doesn't really exist. And the only thing that matters is that you're happy and you have fun. And the thing is, even when I was pursuing all of these things that I thought were going to make me happy, I wasn't actually happy. I was making really bad decisions. I was hanging out with people I shouldn't have hung out with, guys. It was guys that I shouldn't have hung out with that put me in bad situations that I really regret now. Like I look back at that semester in college and I regret so much. I almost made it. Like I almost made it through college, making good decisions and being able to look back at my collegiate career and having just an entire four years to be proud of. And I completely squandered it. And that's how Satan works. He takes the people that are, I was very unlikely to be the party girl. He takes them and puts them in a situation, tests their faith and says, are you going to stand or are you going to, are you going to fall? I fell and I don't recommend that. You will be so proud of yourself if you remain true to your values uh, throughout your college career. And one thing that would have prevented me from falling into temptation and having an entire semester that I really regret would have been allowing other Christians to speak into my life. There were Christians in college who tried to speak into my life and said, Allie, what are you doing? Like, why are you doing this? This isn't you. You were literally chaplain in your sorority. Why are you doing this? And I didn't want to listen to them because it wasn't fun to listen to them. It didn't feel good to listen to them. But it took months after college, me sitting in a counselor's office and her telling me that I was going to die from bulimia uh, before I woke up and was like, shoot, 
wow, this is not who I am. This is not how, who God made me to be. This is not what Christ saved me for, to ruin my life for something like this crazy. And thankfully in God's redemption and his grace, he saved me out of that, saved me from myself and pursued me when I didn't deserve to be pursued. And he could do the same thing for you too. Like if you're listening to this, I know I went on a completely different tangent than the question, but if you're listening to this and you worry that you're too far gone or you are considering like, hey, maybe I should start partying, hooking up this year, that sounds fun. Uh, my recommendation is no, <laughs> don't do it. Nothing good happens from it. No fruit will bear from it. And honestly, I'm still dealing with the regret from four years ago. It is not worth it. And you are never too far off to save. So just remember that Jesus loves you again, different direction for this message. Uh, but I just wanted to make sure that I reiterated that. Okay. Maybe a couple more questions, a couple more minutes. One question. This is a fun question. Not quite as deep. If you could only eat one cuisine for the rest of your life, which would it be and why? I don't think I answered this. If I did, I'm sorry, but I just love food questions. I feel like I ask this to people all the time. Like, what would be your last meal that you would eat? I would have like a five course meal. If I could only eat one cuisine for the rest of my life. Okay. I'm adding the caveat to this that I wouldn't gain weight. <laughs> if I, if that didn't matter, like if calories didn't matter, there is this dish called sunset style fajitas from a chain Mexican restaurant that's here in Texas, but it's also in Georgia, I think now in Atlanta, it's called Mi Casina. It's not even the best Mexican restaurant. I don't think that we have here in Dallas. There are plenty of other better ones, probably more authentic, but sunset style fajita is so good. You get this like huge dish of chicken and fried onions in the middle. And there is this spicy queso. I know that you who don't live in Texas call this cheese dip. It's called queso. Whoa, I just got <laughs> caught in my throat because I got so excited talking about queso. It's called queso. And it's amazing. And then you get the flour tortillas that are warm and you put all of it in the tortillas and they just make amazing fajitas. It's so good. I'd probably eat that for the rest of my life if it didn't matter that I wasn't getting proper nutrients. And if it didn't matter that I was probably going to gain 5,000 pounds, I guess I would probably eat that if I was going to still be healthy. That's a great question. Thank you so much. Uh, anyway, I love you guys so much. Thank you so much for listening. Feel free to reach out to me. Like I said, if you've got questions, if you've got feedback. Also, one thing for those of you who are still listening, you probably turned it off by now. For those of you who are still listening, if you know someone who was born 1925 or earlier, who is still alive, who you think has an interesting story, please email me about them. Allie at the conservative millennial blog.com. Okay. Love you. Have a great weekend. See you next week.